Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and a warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios on a very sunny, warm, last or almost last winter's day here in Sydney. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. I'm Danielle Akuye. Let's introduce our two experts for today's show. And here for the full hour, joining me is Gary Glover from Novus Capital and Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining the call today. Thanks, Danny. My pleasure. Okay, now our first five stocks of the day, and we've got some great stocks for you. Incitec Pivot, Blue Scope Steel, Shape Australia, GUD Holdings, and Rural Funds. So a very nice mix. But before we get onto those, the stock of the day is City Chic. The retail company says it expects to be making losses in the first half of full year 24 and pick up in the latter half of the year. City Chic reported an underlying EBITDA loss of $24 million and a full year loss from continuing operations of $45 million. Sales revenue is down by 158 percent to 268 spot four million dollars md and ceo phil ryan is confident that he can return the business to profitability with a clear strategy with a fresh product range and normalized trade with a valuable customer base do our analysts hold the same faith well let's hear from both gary and luke for some perspective so gary here's a company that was an absolute darling particularly during the pandemic and it's got caught with lots of inventories and uh clearly as the the world has moved on from shopping till we drop we're now traveling as though we uh, only live once how are you looking at it gary yeah, look, it's an interesting business there. It's, um, I think it's sort of, it's, it's almost, uh, you know, its success that it's had here has actually sort of, uh, it's worked against it into the fact that, um, that over the last sort of few years, because of their sort of uh, rise to uh, sort of um, the success there, that a lot of retailers have introduced the uh, oversized brands as a result of their success. So that's really sort of impacted them. And then secondly, they've had some inventory issues of their own. So you look at the market cap, 110 mil seems pretty cheap here when you consider uh, the revenue line 268 for the year. But when you look at that, that strong revenue line is sort of down on the year, uh, net profit down 45 on the year, only holding 10.9 million cash as well. So that that is a concern as well, because that, you know, if you're bleeding money here, and not too much cash left there, that, that usually means you you might have to raise more money here. So, um, yeah, look, to me, technically on the chart there, it doesn't look too bad here. It looks like a lot of the um, bad news is priced in here. So I think maybe the price can recover a little bit here. But 
there probably plenty of better stocks out there to be investing in. Um, although I think they'll probably, probably see the share price recover a bit, but it's not going to shoot the lights out here. So if we were trying to put that into uh, how, how if you hold it, would you sell it? Would you continue to hold it? Uh, I'll continue to if I had if I already if I was sort of trying to bottom pick here and I've been caught um, I'd probably be hanging on a bit longer here um, but it's not sort of one that I want to be in the long term I'd be looking for to try and exit this on a little bit of a share price appreciation but it's got, got some real risks still um, as our other retailers there have sort of um, uh, have brought in these sort of plus size brands uh, which is sort of eaten in the competition and the company's got some structural issues there around inventory. Uh, a bit of debt there, so uh, it's, yeah, it's going to be a long haul, I think, for um, City Sheep. Yeah, it certainly doesn't sound like a very pretty picture, does it, Luke? Um, how are you seeing City Sheep? It's been very tough for these guys, and, and what a mixed reporting season for retailers. Um, some of them have come out and shown fantastic resiliency and actually you know, been rewarded quite strongly from the market. Um, and then there's others, and, and the two out today, um, Dusk and, and City Chic, um, arguably two of the more discretionary, I suppose, and in their niches, um, getting absolutely smashed by the market and, and probably deservedly so. The the results were poor and, and the outlooks even even worse. So the City Chic, I mean, um, as Gary said, um, in, inventory was a big problem they've had now for better part of 12 months. Um, and in in the end, they've sort of just had to cauterize that wound and took some some decent impairments against it. Um, and it sounds like, or, or looking through the numbers, there is some pretty heavy discounting going on to move some of that that old product and and refresh for the for the new seasons coming forward. Because it's always it's, fashions are so tricky. Um, obviously, um, summer and winter, um, but also just the, the trends that happen within those seasons as well. Um, the only area I differ from Gary, I, I agree from his point that this is the sort of business I would probably say hold because it is so bombed out. Um, <clears throat> you know, there is a business that it can recover to. I would actually lean a sell though, Danny, and for the reason why is Gary actually pointed it out. They are running pretty low on cash. I suspect there will need to be a capital raise here. Um, they're flagging, uh, you pointed out, second half 24 to return to profitability. That leaves a six-month window in between where they've already said that through the first eight weeks, sales are down 33%. I don't think they have the cash in the bank to get them through to that profitability. Um, I dare say any sort of debt finance that they've used in the past would be extremely expensive at these levels. Um, not to say that equity dilution wouldn't be um, expensive either, but I think that's the most palatable outcome. So it's one that I would actually exit. I think you'll see a raise here in the next few months. It'll probably be at the mercy of traders and the people who get that stock and who knows how it'll be structured. Uh, but it's worth keeping an eye on um, because you know there is a there is a brand and a business here that we know it. Uh, it will probably not get back to its 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 former glory anytime soon, but it can it can be bigger than what it is today. So I'll, I'll say sell just because of that looming what I think capital raise coming, um, but worth keeping an eye on uh, for that recovery in retail and and for these guys more specifically. Yeah, there's lots of headwinds because when we think about it, consumer discretionary income, if anything, is probably going to continue to come under pressure. And as you say, a capital raising, one doesn't dare think about the discount that might have to take place mm. at because, uh, you know, the market's not silly. It'd kind of uh, <laughs> smell that they're in trouble. So, uh, mm. yeah, totally get where you're coming from. Let's uh, get right on with it now. And our first stock of the day is Incitec, a pivot picked by 
Shane. Well, Gary, this is this is also a company which has uh, had its travails over the years, and uh, I believe has also been looking to restructure. Yeah, just looking at sort of uh, twenty three sort of earnings, twenty four. So I can see that uh, you know, looking at sort of like a basically sort of forty percent. Um, you know, sort of decline uh, in 23 and another 32% forecast for 24. So um, obviously sort of a bit negative here. The, 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 the next couple of years there, I think sort of from 31 cents down to 21. Um, but look, the, the, the PE is sort of sitting around 14 times 24 earnings, and that's that's sort of – that is forecasting a fairly decent decline. Average annual PE for the stock probably trades between 13 and 18 times, 80% of the time. So – it's it's probably trading at the cheaper end of the stock here, so it is uh, already pricing in a lot of this sort of bad news, or you know, basically forecasting a fairly sort of decent client. So I kind of see it as a bit of a hold here, really, just because I think um, you know the, the share price has had a bit of a rally off the lows here, pull back a little bit. Um, so I think maybe the share price can appreciate here, but I, look again, it's probably just not a not an outstanding buy here. I think there are better things to buy in the market, but um, valuation is pretty reasonable here um, and pricing in a lot of downside there. So I think um, oftentimes the market can kind of get ahead itself, priced in all the doom and gloom, and um, that can give you a little bit of appreciation here. I'm just not sure where you're going to see a big move here. I can see I can see a, you know, a recovery in price, but I'm not sure I see a big recovery in price. Fair enough. Uh, Luke, uh, how do you see Instatech pivot? Yeah, we've got an interesting list of names. We've got a few, you know, um, just classic cyclical style businesses, some of them better managed than others, um, you know, in, in the list today, Danny. So it'll be interesting going through them and sort of comparing them to each other. Uh, so Intertech Pivot, um, you know, it's it's a cyclical, which I'd argue is is not that well run. Um, you look at the balance sheet and, you know, there's some sort of bolt-on segments. As you said, they're looking to potentially spin off the, um, the fertiliser business. Um, so there's a lot of things going on, but they are coming out, well, hopefully coming out of their uh, headwinds that they've faced through FY23 and, and sort of see those headwinds easing. And, and as, as Gary points out, earnings starting to recover that multiple, which optically looks high today, about 20 times, recovering back to yeah, 14, 15 times next year as, as earnings recover. So that's that classic cyclical and, and when to when to buy a cyclical versus sell and you know where they are in their cycle, um, not just the overall economic cycle, but them themselves. Businesses often go through 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 cycles as well. Um, and you overlay that with, well, do I think there's a good management team to take me through this cycle, which, as I said, I'm not sure IPL gives you the greatest vote of confidence there. Um, nonetheless, though, I, I think the time to look at businesses like this is now when when earnings are usually troughed out, um, headwinds are starting to ease and, and you're about to see that recovery. Um, you've got potentially some change on the capital allocation front. If they do spin off fertilizers, that could really repair the balance sheet, which I think right now sits at about two times um, mm-hmm. debt to EBITDA. Um, so there's a few things there I think make it look interesting. I agree with Gary. This isn't going to be you know a stock that you buy today and, and see it double in a year or two. It's just not that type of business. Um, but if you were to you know if you're someone who manages a portfolio and you think about your portfolio management in terms of exposure to, to cyclical type businesses or industrials, um, you know you may have businesses that have held up better the last couple of years. Um, and and Intertech Pivot may be something that you look to 
pivot to for you know um <laughs> lack of a better word um because it, it is about to sort of come out of that that um that the headwinds in its face so Look, I'll say a, a cautious buy. I know we like to um, clarify our, our buy holds and sells on the program. I agree with Gary. It's not something that you you, you rush out and and you know buy a huge position and expect it to double overnight. Um, but I, this is the sort of time to look at these types of businesses, and if you've got the stomach for them, mm. the, the time to buy them as well. So, yeah, for the, for the more adventurous investor, I think this is this is worthy of that. Yes, good analysis about cyclicals. And uh, that really leads us to our second stock, which is Blue Scope Steel, ticker code BSL, picked by Peter. And he said, Blue Scope charts look positive. Are they riding on potential construction boom? I can't see it. So why is it trending up? Gary. Yeah, look, uh, I think the earnings sort of forecast to be sort of down 9% for full year 23, another 6% for 24. So just just a slight deterioration in earnings forecast there, uh, trading around, what, 10.9 times 24 numbers. So I think historically trades between sort of 7 and 14 most of the time. Uh, probably 10, 11 is probably the midpoint in terms of evaluation point of view. So it's probably sitting right smack in the, in the, in the middle so of sort of uh, price bands. So not not cheap here, not expensive either. Uh, so most of brokers have actually got, I think there's four strong buyers out there, four sort of moderate buyers, maybe four holds out there. So, um, yeah, look, look, the share price has had a pretty decent move here. The trend's still pretty robust there, but just don't see it as a great opportunity here, I guess. So probably more of a hold for me. Okay. Luke, um, do you like... This one, Blue Scope, I think they got pinged. Um, I think I heard the other day they got pinged for some price fixing. Yeah, yeah, potential. They were tra- trying to. Yeah, flat products or something. Mm. Yeah, I saw that. I I didn't read too much, but I, I did see that headline. Um, I, I do like this business, and and again to, to go back to you know back to back with Instatech Pivot, um, I think this is a much uh, better, well managed cyclical business, um, and you see that in the presentation. I mean, they constantly refer to a return on invested capital, but but importantly a return on invested capital through the cycle. Um, and if you look at the balance sheet for these guys right now, at 700 mil net cash, I think I jotted down. Um, and so it's sort of what you want to see. You want to see these businesses when the times are good, um, you know, they're repairing that balance sheet, they're hoarding cash, um, and it gives them the flexibility to, to be quite opportunistic when the cycle turns because it inevitably will. Now, um, the, the the viewer who wrote the question, he points out, highly tied to the housing cycle. Um, which, you know, when we talk about the housing cycle, we often talk about prices. Um, and, and of course, over the long term, prices can drive construction. But in the shorter term, there is a big backlog of, of housing supply and construction to come onto the market, um, really pent up through COVID and supply chain issues have, have held up, you know, the strong deployments that you'd want to see. So I suspect that there's um, there's legs left in this cycle for Blue Scope. Um, and you see that over in the US, the housing, the housing builders as a, as a sector in the US are, I think, outperforming the market by nearly two times. Um, as as a group of stocks, um, so look, I, I think there's legs here. But but to go back to that point, Instatech pivot, where you're buying Instatech pivot, if you were to buy Instatech pivot, sorry, um, you're buying it on the earnings upswing. 
as Gary pointed out, you're doing the opposite here with Blue Scope. They've they've come out and said they see earnings continuing to fall in FY24 after their peak half was first half this year. Um, even though that that multiple is optically cheap on nine times earnings, that's the market already factoring in that you're, you're coming off that peak. And I just think it's a it's usually a pretty dangerous time, even for how well this business has run. The balance sheet's in a good spot. Um, I maybe wouldn't go and sell the whole thing. As I said, a good management team. I think they've earned the respect to, to hold them through a cycle. But if you've held it for a while, that chart does look really good. And if that position weighting's crept up in your portfolio, this is one where you definitely take some off the table. And whether you allocate it to something like an IPL or somewhere else, I, I think that'd be a pretty prudent thing to do. Um, because generally speaking, once those earnings starts to turn, it's usually a few years before they turn back. So um, yeah, one where I, I wouldn't, as I said, I wouldn't say sell, but, but definitely take profits. Indeed. Okay, our third stock is Shape Australia, ticker code SHA, picked by Mel. And I have an admission, I had never heard of this one, but apparently exposed to the building and construction industry. Gary. Yeah, I've got the same admission, Danny. I didn't really know that much about this one either, actually. So, uh, but interesting uh, company, actually. So, yeah, sort of in that sort of fit out and refurb sort of space, only been on the market for less than two years here, so probably something like 18 months there, so relatively new uh, listing there. Um, but, yeah, look, I think um, I was looking at 23, sort of forecasting around 11.8 cents earnings and then 16 cents for 24, and that puts it on a P of only sort of 12 times this year and um, nine times following year, which is, okay, that's pretty pretty reasonable for a company which is sort of set to grow 40% in 23 and 35% next year. So looks looks pretty uh, looks pretty compelling here from a valuation perspective. Did report here on the 24th, and that was uh, 12.6 cents. Actually, that's sort of ahead of consensus there. So that, that's a plus as well. So the share price has had a little bit of a rise since then. But looking forward here, there's quite a few things I do like about the stock here. Um, 61% of the shares held by insiders. So pretty sticky um, sort of, um, you know, shareholder base there. Yep. So it you means know, it's going to be tough to actually buy sort of shares. Mm. Uh, did, did look on their website too. Got 19 jobs currently advertised uh, for the for the firm here. Uh, and, and they're sort of what I would say sort of medium level to above, not not sort of the lower end jobs. So uh, I thought that's a good sign that uh, a company sort of, you know, is growing, uh, employing there. So this really sort of, of the list there, this is the one that really jumped out at me. There's something to have a really close look at. Um, I'd go as far as at this stage to sort of you know, give, give it a buy here. Actually, I think it looks pretty compelling. You're not worried about uh, potential labour cost pressures or anything like that? Oh, I think the market's been worried about a lot of things the last two years and most of them haven't come to fruition, Danny. So, um, yeah, we've been worried about the retailers for two years here, but we're still still spending. So. Okay. I get, I get, I understand there's going to be a little some some pressures there, but the good businesses do find a way to sort of um, persevere here. But the, you know, I guess this valuation looks pretty cheap here, um, and if that growth we're already coming ahead of uh, early growth there is a good sign. So um, yeah, I just I love the fact that this has only been around for 18 months, and oftentimes IPOs sort of come on the board and they they come on a little bit heated because everyone gets excited about them, and the news dries up, and then the share price action dries up mm. and then sort of 18 months later, you know, they start to improve and kick on here. So it's kind of the classic IPO sort of setup for me. So 
this is pretty interesting here to me at 160. Okay, there we go. Luke, is uh, shape, uh, is it uh, going to have some shape for you? <laughs> Yeah, I actually agree with all of that. And I think um, even think about the timing of the IPO, it was late 2021, I think. Um, and so it's come to market just as this is a this is effectively a micro cap, 134 mil market cap. It's come to market effectively as that market just really turned. Um, and in the face of a really good execution, and you see that with the result the other day, the outlook they've provided, um, share price hasn't really gone anywhere. It's gone down a little bit since the IPO. Um, and, and I agree with Gary. I think it sets up for a really interesting opportunity. So um, they're electrical contractors. Um, so again, we're talking about another cyclical business. It's always worth keeping that in mind. Um, but I was more and more impressed the more I looked at this. Um, generally speaking, I, I like to give IPOs a, a few reports just to see, mm. you know, do they hit their prospectus numbers? How do they communicate with the market? Um, just you know, just let that let that passage of time go through before you really gain conviction. Um, but but these guys, like I said, a lot to like. Um, the one thing I know is it's very conservatively run business. So, so this is a business where um, working capital can sometimes be very tricky. You, you usually deal with large contractors, large large construction contractors, um, and you usually get some pretty crappy payment terms. Of course, you've got to pay your employees on time or else they get pretty agitated. Um, so you can have this big working capital balance. And what I noticed when I looked at these guys is they don't they don't fund that balance out of debt like a lot of um, you know contractors do. They hold ninety million dollars on the balance sheet of cash, um, but that's effectively their working capital float now. You know, it's not optimized. You know, some people from a textbook point of view would say that's a pretty lazy balance sheet and you should use an overdraft facility or something like that. And, and you know, you could really unlock that cash and return it to shareholders or whatnot. But as Gary points out, you know, you've got people running this business who are founders and, and heavily invested um, and they're running it the much more conservative way, even if, you know, the academic think tanks wouldn't necessarily agree. So I like that though. That, that's the sort of pe people that I want to follow and invest. Um, it trades cheap 13 times earnings. As I said, you could probably strip some of that excess, excess cash off the valuation. Um, I, I don't suspect they will, but but you know, maybe you could. Um, big backlog, 7% yield. The outlook looks strong. As I said, I'm actually pretty optimistic on that sort of large construction um, and, and um, the whole construction space in general for a little bit longer. So um, I would actually give this one a buy as well. Um, speculative because it is small. It is cyclical. You know, It's not someone who's running a, a self-managed super and they've optimized themselves for defensive yield or something. You're not looking at a business like shape. Um, but for investors like myself, you know, small micro cap investor, um, this looks really, really interesting. And it's one I've, I've chucked on my, on my list straight away to, um, to look at further. Interesting. How much do the um, founders, owners actually own of it? Do we know? Because um, I just got, looked at the turnover and it's actually pretty low in the stock. Um, yeah, I've got the report be, here. Yeah. So there's a there's a shareholder with 17%, which I'm guessing is one of them. And then there's a bunch with nine, five, five. There would be... So it yeah, must be it would, plus of 50% is Creeping probably, up towards probably 30%, something like that. 30, okay, cool. Well, interesting there. Very interesting. Always good I to... Think, um, I think... Uh, also there, Danny, I think uh, apart from the big insider holding there, I think um, over 5% holders amount to about 82% of the holding. So even even the other Instos investors or there, yeah, are all holding a reasonable chunk here. So it uh, looks very – it's a sort of stock sometimes you look at sort of um, – if you go back and look at some of the biggest movers in the past there, you see that really tight shareholder structure. Um, 
And uh, yeah, you often see that sort of little bit of weakness early in the price there as, as the company sort of gets its sort of footing in the market as well. So it's just, it does bode pretty well to me. I, this, I'm like Luke here. I've definitely put this on my watch list there. I'm going to do a bit more homework, have a look at it. But there's, there's nothing I, that I don't like here so far. Yeah, particularly when you're looking at a 7% yield, which looks fairly solid, as you said, Luke, it's quite interesting, whatever the market cap, 120 million or 130 million, and they've got 90 million cash on the balance sheet. Yeah, exactly. It it almost looks like, uh, you know, the risk is being mitigated. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Fourth stock is GUD Holdings, ticker code GUD, picked by Colin. And Colin has asked, is this a long-term buy? Gary, it, it certainly looks like GEE, GUD has got their house in order, particularly this reporting season. Yeah, it's actually, uh, I mean, the share price has sort of popped here, sort of from $8 there, what, eight weeks ago, up to $12 there. So it's had a pretty decent recovery here. But when I do look at the valuation there, so forecast to be around $0.88 cents for 23 $0.94 cents for 24 that's a sort of growth of around 18% this year and 7% next year. But it only puts it on about 13 times um, 24 numbers. And I looked at uh, the historical average there, trades um, probably 85% of the time between 13 and a half and 19 times earnings. So definitely not expensive here at all, even after this what you know 40% move in the share price. Mm. Still look pretty reasonable value here. Just... The charts, anything for me, just just because it has sort of gone, you know, sort of um, from eight to twelve. There, that's that's my only sort of hesitation there. Just might might want to sort of cool off a little bit after this run here, but doesn't look expensive uh, when I look at the historical numbers there. So, how would you position in this one? Long term uh, buy? Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. But I, I probably want to see. I probably look for a bit of a pause or a little bit of a pullback in the price before it enter, but. I, I wouldn't be if I'm holding the stock. I wouldn't wouldn't be a seller. I'd be definitely holding the stock here. But might be one of those sort of stocks to maybe look to add on a little bit of weakness. Fair enough. And Luke, what do you think of GUD? Yeah, actually, really agree with that. I think it's an easy hold if you're already there. Um, if you're on the sidelines, I would probably and and I'm not a chartist, but I agree with Gary. I think you look at that run and um, where we are with with discretionary stocks in general, and even the outlook from these guys is just a little bit cautious. Um, so I think there there is a chance you'd see a little bit of a pullback. But um, look, I mean, I, I can't give any more credit to to the management of this company. I remember looking at this uh, many years ago, probably five or seven years ago, um, and it was just an amalgamation of of a bunch of different segments. They'd acquired a bunch of stuff in the automotive um, supply space, and you know they were excited about that. But as investors, given the history of the business and and all this other stuff they were they'd done, I mean it was fair to say we we sort of didn't didn't give them too much credit for what they could what they could build. And fast forward to to this result the other day, and they've now exited the last of their non-automotive segments it's a purely um, automotive supplies business um, and it's a it's a fantastic business um, it's run really well the only thing i could pick a hole in was um, they do have a, a pretty um, high debt level it's about two times ebitda but even then when i looked at that further um, they've got fixed rates until fy26 at 3.5 percent so management's mm. even done a great job of locking in their debt and giving themselves another couple of years before that becomes a problem and given the earnings and the free cash I mean, they'll probably build up the the cash to the point where um, they can roll that debt quite comfortably at that point, and, and who knows where rates will be. So, there's not much I can poke a hole in here, Danny, other than the the run that it's had in a, in a quick fashion. 
Um, the valuation, as Gary points out, 15 times this result, but that'll come down probably, yeah, to 13 times, something like that. Um, so easy hold if you're there. And, and just on the, the, the speed of the run and, and the re-rate over the, the last few weeks, I think on the sidelines, just you know keep it on your tight watch list. And if you see just one of those 5 10% pullbacks, um, probably on a broader market pullback, something like that, um, I think this is something that you could easily own for the longer term, no doubt about that. Excellent. Okay, and the fifth stock is a Rural Funds RFF picked by Betty. So we are talking a REIT in the agri space from memory, almonds, chicken, beef, absolutely everything. Uh, Gary, would this be one that you would like? Uh, look, I think I prefer elders over Rural Funds, but um, you know, to look sort of point earlier about instinct pivot there, you, you, you do sort of have to sort of buy these businesses when, they, when they're – if you are going to be in this sector, you, you do get sort of buy these things around the flavour here. So, um, so I, I did sort of notice that technically the first sort of bounce off that one seventy level, the first sort of three or four weeks up, there was really big volume. So there's really aggressive buying on that first leg up. I had a bit of a pullback, a lot of volume, and it has now bounced and actually gone to a new high, which is technically a good positive thing, just sort of technically. Um, from a valuation perspective, they're probably around 16, 17 times there, which if you look at the sort of history of the stock, the, the PE is all over the shop, really. It's it, um, just because it is a true cyclical, this sort of stock here. So it's sort of hard. Sometimes sort of, you know, PE is uh, irrelevant, and I think in this case it probably is. <laughs> so, mm. um, But technically it looks okay here, but uh, I think I prefer elders over um, retail funds. Fair enough. Luke? Um, yeah, this one didn't excite me at all, Danny. Um, you know, I think with with REITs at the minute, I agree with Gary, ignore the PE and, and also probably ignore the NTA. Um, they're so volatile with uh, with what rates are doing and how they're being independently assessed. So I think you fall back to the yield and, and right now you're getting a 5.7% yield to me. It's just not enough of a buffer over, you know, what you can get out of a term deposit um, to, to really justify the risk. And th- these guys have some good assets, but again, they are cyclical assets. Um, ask anyone who's involved in the agriculture space and they'll tell you that. Um, and so when you look at, at the result a bit more in detail, um, the the distribution has stayed flat, but the actual um, sort of earnings per share, well, um, uh, funds from operations per share, it actually fell. So to, to maintain that, that um, distribution level, they actually had to increase their payout rate to above 100% and sort of dip into some retained earnings or, or you know, dip into their cash balance. Um, you can only do that for so long before you need the, you know, the, 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 the um, underlying earnings to pick up and, and fund your distribution again. So whichever way you want to slice it, there's a few things I just sort of wasn't, you know, revaluing their properties higher in the face of rates being 4% higher than last year to me <laughs> you know i know you're in the agricultural space and it can often you can be counter cyclical in that space but yeah it's a little bit how you going um <laughs> so look for me that yield's not enough um yeah, yeah I, I actually think if you're someone who's defensive and you want that sort of yield, you can just get it from better reits and yeah. you don't have to go too risky there's some good industrial reits and um, there's some good um you know if you want to avoid office or retail there's some really good specialty reits offering yields above you know six and a half seven percent so i'd be exiting this one and, and if you want that sort of exposure look look somewhere like that do you want to throw out a name for the viewers in terms of uh, obviously not in the agri space but as you said a specialty reach that uh, has a higher yield with a higher degree of comfort that that uh, you know that stream of income payments will be retained yeah 
We've had a few come up lately, and, and one which it was it was a difficult analysis, but the charter hall long whale read I think was yielding up around ten percent. Yeah. Um, and it's got some issues because it's got to, it's got to manage its its um, longer lease expiries versus mm-hmm. debt profile. I think the market's a little bit nervous about that, but charter hall are good managers. Um, and you know maybe the market's sort of forecasting a cut to that yield, and that's always something to bear in mind when you're looking at the distributions and the yields on these REITs. But you know stuff like that. I, I think yeah. when you look around, you can screen. You, you can find them, as I said, six, seven, and, and and potentially higher if you're willing to take on more risk around office retail and and maybe some that have some um, you know individual risks to them as well. Yeah, and it, as you say, it's a really bombed out sector, and the only reason why I'm dwelling on it is is the fact that. You know, there's been so much about rates high for longer. If we actually do see inflation trending down, which obviously some experts are, these rates have the potential to fly quite dramatically. Is that something that you'd both concur with? Yeah, I think so. Yes. I mean, um, yeah. how, they're, how they're managed in the meantime is, is the issue. And, and um, you'd want to look for ones that have um, a good balance sheet. Um, and, and the issue to, to, to flesh out that charter hall long whale a, a little bit further, what the mismatch really comes from is um, the, the leases you've got now, how are they structured? Are they um, you know, tied to CPI or are they fixed? Fixed increases because the ones who are fixed increases with a you know um, a long lease expiry and then have short-term debt rolling over that's the that's the trinity of things that you know are just are just um, combining together for some some bad performance so you can sort of do a little bit more work on how they can get through it but, but spot on you're right if if inflation has peaked and we got a very good number just before and, and rates go with it um, the ones that have been hit the hardest on those fears will recover pretty strongly. Yeah, Gary. Sorry, would you would you concur there? Yeah, no. Look, it's uh, it's definitely a sector that I've been watching closely there, just because it's it's all been all on my traffic there. So um, I guess you got to just look at your you have an outlook there. I mean, I'm not sort of convinced that uh, that we've got the place under control here. So um, historically, there you sort of. It, inflation tends to have sort of two, you know, two or three waves there. So you sort of get your your first wave of getting under control, and then you, you might basically get um, a downward trajectory for say 12 to 15, 18 months somewhere, and and then, and then it will sort of maybe come back a little bit. I, I I do do take the point that the central banks are being heavy-handed here, and because because they're aware of that, and they're, they're trying their best to not allow that to happen, which which is a good sign. So maybe they'll hit the foot on the throat here, and maybe we'll. You know, will kill inflation totally. If they, and if that does happen, yeah, those REITs can really can get going there. It's, it's interesting though. I've been watching the price action on these REITs there, and um, they're almost in capitulation type of uh, mm. uh, technically picture as well. And they're starting to see some pretty heavy sort of uh, sell-offs, some pretty heavy trading volumes as well. So uh, definitely getting my interest here as well. I, I prefer like to see some positivity first, but. Definitely seeing almost sort of capitulation type sort of lows for quite a few of them. So um, we've seen a few of the leaders actually recover and, and bounce pretty strongly here. So so I think there's some yeah, some reasonable signs there actually. It's definitely one of those sectors to keep a close eye on here. 
Great. Well, some food for thought above and beyond uh, what we've been discussing. Let's sum up the stock of the day, which was City Chic. Uh, they reported today ongoing losses. Now, both of our experts, both Gary and Luke, really erring towards possibly a hold for Gary, but would be looking to divest the stock. A sell for Luke. Just too many risks sitting here at the moment in terms of trying to turn around the debt situation. Well, Actually, they've only got 10 million cash on hand. They need to continue to get rid of their inventory, some deep discounting and still macro headwinds in terms of the discretionary space, particularly when competition has been coming into those plus sizes, which City Chic has been in. Now, let's turn to the first five stocks. Incitet Pivot, so we're talking explosives, fertilizers, very much a cyclical stock. Gary feels that the bad news has currently been discounted in the stock. It's kind of trading um, at between around the lower end of its traditional valuation around 14 times, traditionally trades between 13 and 18. And he has a hold on that one. Uh, Luke feels that it's, look, it's interesting. You can buy these cyclical companies when they are very bombed out. Uh, He feels that a lot of the bad news is sitting in Incitec Pivot. There could be potential upside with the divestment Um, I think of the fertilizer business, recapitalizing it. They do have a lot of debt. Uh, But the time to buy these cyclical businesses is when uh, they are bombed out. So he has a cautious buy on that one. Blue Scope Steel, again, we're talking a cyclical business with a big exposure to housing slash construction. And uh, it's just interesting to note they've been a good performer. They are relatively more expensive in terms of their valuation and on a historical basis, around 12 times prospective earnings. Um, Now, Gary feels it's not a great opportunity at the moment to buy this one. It has done very well. So he has a buy, I mean, a hold on that one. And Luke would actually err towards taking profits, even though there is a lot of potential business in the wings in terms of the housing sector and the backlogs. At the moment, this is probably a company that you've caught at the wrong time in the cycle, although he does make the point that these very well managed, they've got a 700 million in net cash and they do actually manage the cycle quite well. Now Shape Australia, our third stock, this definitely uh, tickled the interest of both of our guests today. Very much want to say put it on their watch list and possibly a cautious or a speculative buy. Um, You've got some very major shareholders there. It was recently listed about 18 months ago. They're an electrical contractor, very conservatively run. They've got about 90 million cash on the balance sheet. They're on a uh, prospective multiple around 13 times and a 7% yield, which looks fairly durable given the order book and also the way they run their working capital. So both the experts are going to take a deeper look at that, but would err towards a buy. GUD Holdings are definitely been a strong performer recently. The market like the results. Both my guests really like GUD as well. Um, Just worth noting that they have divested um, their their um, uh, other businesses apart from their automotive businesses, so you have a much purer play here in terms of valuations. 
It's reasonably valued at around 13 times full year 24 earnings. But because of the run up, Gary has a hold on it, but would look to buy it on weakness. And uh, then we turned to Luke and he would keep it on your watch list as well. And uh, really interesting, even though they've got a geared balance sheet, two times debt to EBITDA, just worth noting that they've locked in at very lucrative rates around 3.56%, I believe, up until full year 26. So one for your uh, watch list. Rural funds, REIT in the agri space, uh, really, no, Gary would prefer elders rather than this. And uh, Luke definitely does not, uh, this stock doesn't appeal to him, doesn't feel that the 5% yield is sufficiently justified at this point and uh, would look to alternatives. And we did just discuss the REIT sector and uh, the Charter Hall Long Whale REIT as something potentially to look at. Now let's check in with our uh, portfolio that we have and uh, the call is tracking our own high conviction fund which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of the committee meeting is live for you to watch at ausbiz.com so let's check in with the portfolio update. Going into August, index was replaced by AUB and the committee spent on cash. 1% went to each of Seek, Altium and Prometicus and the portfolio, let's see how it's performing. And it is up 7.78% on a cumulative return basis since inception on March 1st, 2022. Keep sending in your request and keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. And let's crack on to the next five stocks of the call today. And we have a New Hope Corporation, Cleanaway, Whitehaven, Steadfast and Liontown Resources. So our sixth stock is a New Hope Corporation picked by Pret. My gosh, Pret, I've never heard that name. Uh, Luke. Does uh, the coal space, and in particular New Hope, uh, one that you would be looking at? Not me personally, Danny. Um, but uh, I mean, in, in a sentence, this comes down to whether you apply an ESG filter to your investment process, um, because there's no way to spin it other than these guys are exceptionally cheap, cashed up, and, and returning capital to shareholders. Um, so people who can slash are willing to own them. Um, I, I think you know you can go ahead and do that with some some pretty good confidence. Um, what I probably would say is I, I wouldn't necessarily expect the share price to do most of that heavy lifting. Uh, maybe over the longer term as buybacks take effect, but you'd really be looking to get that dividend um, that dividend yield and you know the business just to continue as I said returning returning capital. Maybe a special dividend every now and then as that cash balance banks up. Um, but backed by you know Solpats effectively, I think you know that capital allocation will be strong. These guys aren't going to take that cash balance and you know um, get grand ambitions to become a lithium miner or something like that. Um, so yeah, to me it, it simply boils down to, to to whether you want to own coal stocks or not. Um, if yeah. you own it, you easily hold it. If it's something that passes your ESG filters or you're comfortable doing, then I think you can buy this. Um, it's probably not worthy of being a, a massive part of a portfolio, given that the heyday is only last year. But you know we have seen those coal prices moderate. But they've clearly found a base where these guys are still, you know, extremely profitable with current levels. So, yep, comfortable hold and a buy for people who are willing to, um, to, to look past the ESG concerns. Reminds me of the uh, tobacco stocks in uh, the yeah, 90s, yeah. dare I say, I owned uh, BAT. And they've been the best performers, you know, <laughs> over the last 20, 30 years. Um, you know, it's sort of... 
these these markets where you get a, a naturally depressed share price because of the ESG concerns, um, but you generate a lot of cash and you buy back a lot of shares, it's just a recipe to compound to, to some amazing returns over the long term. And unfortunately, you know, um, I'm a micro cap investor, which is the main reason I'm not out there buying a $4.8 billion company. Um, but for, for those who, yeah, apply ESG, you know, um, it's just something we have to accept that sometimes these sin stocks, they, they can just be the best performers by the nature of the fact that they trade at depressed multiples, but, but spit off just so much cash. Indeed. Gary, are you going to be tempted by a sin stock? Uh, no, no. I mean, like the the uh, the P of four and the yield of under ten percent. So you know that obviously does look uh, pretty attractive there. So um, yeah, seems sort of somewhat compelling. But the reality is that the, these sort of coal stocks they 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 are quite cyclical. If you look at the history coal stocks here, the last sort of ten years or the last twenty years, there they, they really do go on sort of um, you know big big tears for a few years, and then they go through you know suppressed prices for a few years as well. And then at the moment, we're sort of we're, we've been on a tear here the last uh, probably two two and a half years here. So just started to see that coal price started to ease back here, which has obviously resulted in the um, in the shares coming back here. So I think you hope there. I think they're what forecast for what dollar thirty one this year, only seventy three cents uh, next year. So that's about a forty four percent decline in earnings there. Um, that's just just because really the you know the coal price really you know does move around quite a lot. Um, yeah, it's obviously some sort of risk with sort of coal and other energy sources over time here, but I, I don't think that's a short-term concern. Maybe that's a, a ten-year concern, but um, to me, it just I think sometimes these really low. Like, it's, it's sort of similar to sort of some of them. I guess a lot of the good mining shares is that when they look the cheapest on the lowest sort of um, you know yeah. lowest PEs and the highest yields, that's that's often sort of the top of the cycle. Yep. So when they look the most compelling, that's usually the time to be selling them. First thing I ever learnt when I became a research analyst, <laughs> sell them yeah. when they look cheap, buy them yes. when they look expensive. Anyway, uh, seventh stock is CleanAway, ticker code CWY, picked by Amara. Uh, Luke, CleanAway, uh, even though you're a microcap, would you like to be invested in this stock? No, not at all. Um, and, you know, that's in the context of being a micro investor, but also we've had a, a couple of these, you know, as I said, some some good cyclical industrial type companies. And when I look at CleanAway, I did not see much to get excited about. I can sort of see it, it is more defensive than some of the other names we've discussed, um, you know, in that waste services space. Um, but nonetheless, still faces a lot of the same headwinds, you know, um, cost price pressures, labor inflation, um, usually have long term contracts and how they're priced is very important. But I mean, what what really got me is the valuation is very steep. Now, the argument there is that you're coming off a low base of earnings and um, they're looking to clean up the business and spin off segments and do all sorts of stuff. And that when things get cleaned up and the balance sheet gets cleaned up, you know, you'll have a, a much better level of earnings and a much more reasonable valuation. But they actually give some some longer term guidance. And so they 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 said that by FY26, they want to produce 450 mil in earnings before interest and tax. Now, that's still 15 times mm. their, their current enterprise value. To me, this is not the sort of stock I want to sit in for another two years 
just to get to 15 times EBIT. Um, I'd need that valuation probably around 10. You know, you know maybe if management's showing um, that they've come in and, and cleaned up some of the stuff and you've got some good capital allocation in place, you could start to afford a little bit higher. But but 15 times two years out is, is to me, uh, far too high of a price to pay. I'd, I'd be exiting this one. I mean, even if, to go back to what I said about Intertech Pivot, they're clearly on that trajectory of moving back towards, you know, in, improving earnings and improving the business. It is the time you want to look at cyclicals, but you want to see that valuation bottomed out, or sorry, mm. that, that, that price bottomed out, which we had the chart up before. It hasn't really done that, um, yeah. you know, not to the same extent others have. So this is one I'd exit. And, and again, if you're looking for, for a different sort of cyclical exposure, look for some of those ones that are, uh, you know, recovering, but but also have been bombed out on the way. They're, they're the ones you want to be looking for. Indeed. And I do know they've definitely been on strike over the course of this year in our LGA. Gary, uh, clean away. Rubbish isn't that yeah. easy. <laughs> no, no, look, I, I probably agree with Luke there, really. It's, um, I mean, I think the average annual PE there for the stock there has sort of traded between 14 and 33 times, so fair range in PE. But we're sort of sitting around 30 times at the moment on 23 earnings and even looking at uh, like a 17, 80% rise in earnings next year, still trading on about 26 times. So multiple pretty high here. Um, so I just don't see value there at all. So it's trading high in its historical range. It's high at the moment. Even looking, you know, like as Luke said, Luke's look, look, looking at 26. I'm, I'm just looking at 24 here. Mm. Still high for next year. So I don't want to look too far ahead. Uh, but, yeah, just yeah, it does look expensive here. I just can't see... Can't see the upside in the in the in the share price here. So sell. Um, it's it's an avoid for me. Definitely, yeah, definitely a sell. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So our eighth stock is Whitehaven Coal ticker code WHC picked by Andy. So we're back in the ESG pond. Um, if my memory serves me correctly, Luke, I think they were potentially looking at buying. BHP's coal assets, which has ticked off one of their investors over in the UK. Yep, yep. So, yeah, same comments on New Hope Apply here on the ESG and, and whether you're attracted to the stock in and of itself. But let's put that to the side for a second. Um, Whitehaven versus New Hope, which becomes a, an interesting conversation because you maybe just want to own one as an investor. Um, Whitehaven is cheaper. Um, you know, it's it's um, a larger market cap, but um, a much bigger cash balance. You know, 5.5 billion market cap versus 2.6 in the bank. Um, produced nearly 500 mil operating cash in the last quarter. So, it's it's got more cash than New Hope. It's it's producing more. It's it's on a cheaper valuation. Now, why why is that the case? And and I think you've summed up the reason there, Danny. Whitehaven haven't committed the same way New Hope has to to returning that excess capital to shareholders, um, and they're holding you know what I would call a bit of a war chest, two point six billion dollars there. Um, we know the BHP assets are up for sale. Um, there's obviously the potential for international um, things as well. And you've got a shareholder base who, through that whole period where coal was doing well, were, were very committed to, to, to these businesses not, not you know, um, flittering away the cash that they do earn. So that's why you've got some people agitated and, and that's why it trades at that cheaper multiple. I think investors are a little bit nervous about the capital allocation moving forward and probably rightfully so. I mean, if you had a Soul Pats-like investor the same way you do behind New Hope, I think you could sleep much easier at night that capital allocation will be really strong and they're always looking out for shareholders uh, but there could just be a little bit of empire building going on here with right. Whitehaven 
Whitehaven's management. And I think that sort of spooks spooks some people and why some people, even though it's more expensive, probably go towards a new hope. Um, but look, for me, it, it's hard to say one or the other. One's cheaper. The other one, you know, arguably a bit more steadier, if you want to call it that. Um, but it, it boils back to that same core question of do you want to own coal? And if the answer is yes, then I think you can buy either of these two and get a pretty handy return over the, the short, medium term. If you want coal, but I guess if you want coal, yeah, yeah. So I'll say I'll say a buy for the program, but but obviously the big caveat to that is if you want to own coal, and if you want to own one, to be honest, I'd probably go New Hope. Okay. Do you have a similar disposition on this one, Gary? I know you. I was just trying to look. I don't think I wrote down on New Hope, but I just felt that you didn't really want to go there with New Hope. Is that correct? Yeah, probably very slightly there, Luke. If I was going to choose one, I'd probably choose Whitehaven here, and that's probably just from a technical point of view. Uh, I agree with Luke. I mean, it is it is cheaper, so uh, the yield's probably pretty similar, but valuation is a lot cheaper there. I think it's probably trading under two and a half times or something, you know, which is which seems ridiculously cheap. But you know, we we do have uh, you know we, we know with coal prices, various people can go up and down quite a lot there. Um, you know, I guess you've got that, you know, ESG. I mean, the world's trying to move towards renewables and stuff like that, so uh, you've definitely got that sort of risk there yeah, in the years to come um, in business. But the chart looks pretty interesting to me. That's the, that's probably the one thing I do like is the is uh, I think around sort of 640 is a pretty interesting price level for Whitehaven. Um, and, yeah, just from a, a pure technical point of view, I, I prefer that one here over, over you hope so. You know, if I was playing this year, I'd be playing it technically only. Um, I'm not sure I'd be holding it long term, um, but I don't mind. This, uh, 640 here, I think it's a pretty interesting price zone for Whitehaven. Uh, so you have prepared to sort of say a buy on that one? Uh, yeah, probably technical buy, yeah. But, technical um, buy. But, but, yeah, more of a trade, Danny, rather than a, you know, a long-term investment. Fair enough. A trade. Fair enough. Okay. Our ninth stock is Steadfast and that's the ticker code SDF picked by Mark. So we move to the insurance brokers and this has been quite a lucrative space. Is this one you like, Luke? It's hard not to like it. I mean, it's been a very crowded trade for lack of a better word. I mean, um, people have sort of liked the outlook for Steadfast, AUB and um, PSI as well for, for probably the last two or so years. Um, but then you look at the results that all three of them have put out this reporting season. And yeah, as I said, there's there's, there's not much to, to, to really um, poke a hole in. The, the long-term sort of just bottom left to top right of all the important charts, revenue, um, EBITDA, NPAT, earnings per share, it's just all going the right way. Um, they continue to do really well acquisitively. Now, that gets harder the bigger they get. You know, now talking nearly a $6 billion company, it's come a long way from where I first looked at Steadfast. Um, and in the last two years, you, you've really seen the size of those acquisitions go up to try and compensate, you know, to move the needle now as a bigger company. So that brings more risk. But I've got no reason to doubt that this management team, you know, can't handle that additional risk and continue to grow this business. Mm. Um, 22 times earnings on the result they've just released. Um, they've forecast growth of about 15, 14 to 15% for next year um you know the valuation it's not cheap i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't buy it and spec that multiple to continue to, to move up towards 25 or 30 
But I would think that at a bare minimum, it probably holds about steady. And so you get the earnings growth and then obviously a dividend on top. And like I said, that earnings growth is still 14%. So I think you can still buy this today and do okay. okay. I, I wouldn't necessarily go and buy a huge portion just yep. because um, Gary would have a better idea. But I think they'd be well and truly at the top of that valuation range. Uh, but like I said, the actual fundamental result, I, I can't, I couldn't find a flaw. Uh, balance sheets in in pristine condition, um, and the outlook is 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 great as well. So okay. yeah, a buy, but maybe a small one, and then maybe looking to to grab some more on some weakness. Okay, Gary, do you like uh, steadfast? Yeah, similar look there, really. I mean, uh, so looked at the um, historical vales there. So has traded between eighteen and twenty eight times, which which sounds high, but Oftentimes, the good stocks generally do. Um, so we're trading at what sort of 21 times 22 at the moment, I guess um, 19 times for 24 earnings. That might be sort of slightly higher. Uh, so the number might be slightly higher because it so forecasting slightly higher growth there. But so it doesn't look expensive when you look at it historically. But I think Luke makes a great point here is that once these things sort of grow to a sort of certain size and scale, it becomes harder to keep growing you know so um um at the same pace there so that's you know that pe should start to sort of filter down the lower end and that growth should start to sort of subside a bit so that's the risk there is it but um but yeah i'm my glue here probably probably a bit of a soft buy here um the share okay. price has had a pullback which is a which is a good thing so you're, you're often waiting for those sort of stronger stocks to have a bit of a breather um and those oftentimes are best times to be looking at them so from a sort of short-term to medium perspective here, I think this is probably a buy here, but um, yeah, Mike Luke here, I wouldn't be going too hard. Fair enough. Okay, our last stock is Liontown Resources, ticker GOAD, LTR, picked by a Gerald moving into the battery minerals space. Uh, Luke, Liontown. Um, so the first thing, I made the mistake of looking at a 10-year chart and re- instantly regretted not being a lithium investor a few years ago. <laughs> um, this is, It's unbelievable. This this is obviously one of the best performers on the market over the last few years. Um, there's not much to talk about, though, Danny, because they received a takeover bid from Albemarle oh, at $2.50. of course they did, yeah. Um, so, and yeah. Albemarle, they've slowly crept up the register as well. So the board knocked back that bid. Um, I suspect the market thinks that Albemarle is still sniffing around given they took the equity interest. Um, lithium's obviously come off a little bit in the last you know, few weeks, months. Um, these guys, with that bid underpinning it, have held up quite strongly, as you'd expect, because I don't, I don't think Albemarle walks away. Um, they clearly have a fantastic asset in the ground. They're looking to start getting that out of the ground, I think, the first or second quarter next year. So they're about to hit that, you know, that really exciting period where you start to generate revenues and profits. Um, so I think something happens here. The market's predicting that. It's a very easy hold. I don't yep. like to buy on these sorts no, of things of once you've already had, you know, if you were there beforehand, you've yep. now got the nice jump. So don't don't chase it, but keep holding this if you're there. I, I okay. suspect something happens. Fair enough. And Gary, do you have a hold on this one if you're in there? Uh, yeah, look, I tend to agree with Luke here. I mean, um, look, if it didn't have the takeover uh, interest there, I'd probably say it's a sell here. Um, just because, I mean, if you look at um, the IPOs that have hit the market in the last two years, mm. look at how many sort of lithium rare earth players have just come to market and ha- how many, even some of these new companies as well, have had some big hits as well. So everyone's finding more and more of <laughs> these sort of yeah. newer sort of scope metals here. So it just seems, you know, uh, it's getting a little crowded, that space there. Um, okay. And I think you're seeing a plenty of supply 
coming on here. So, um, but yeah, I think this is a hold here. Just hopefully for shareholders, they they get the win there and they get out. And then, uh, but I, I'm not sure I'll be reinvesting it back into this sort of same sector. Fair enough. Okay, let me summarise the uh, second five stocks that we have had on the call today because a couple of minutes left. So looking at the uh, coal space, New Hope Corporation. Now, uh, just bear in mind, if you apply an ESG filter, that's not one you're going to go to. But on balance, um, really, uh, we have Gary feeling that he has a preference, and I'm just going to say that, for Whitehaven Coal if you want to get into this space versus New New hope and Luke feels like well it's it's got good solid uh, sole pats uh, shareholders behind it capital management so you are going to get a good return in terms of those dividend streams he sort of has a hold slash buy on it clean away no nothing to get too excited about on clean away both of our guests today have a sell recommendation on that one very much at the upper end of its valuation around 31 times earnings it isn't cheap and uh, really it's experienced a lot of uh, cost pressures. Now looking again at Whitehaven, so interesting it trades at a lower valuation uh, basically to New Hope largely due to the fact as Luke liked to say that they're uh, potentially looking to do some empire building using that balance sheet to buy BHP's assets. Um, just feels that uh, possibly this could be um, a potential uh, buy, no not a buy, he would prefer a buy on New Hope on that one and Whitehaven would be a buy for Gary so slightly different there but of course ESG risks. Steadfast, great company, very crowded trade, investors have done incredibly well, trades on around uh, I think we've got it on around 22 times which is not at the highest that it has traded historically but just worth pointing out that as it gets larger, $6 billion company, it gets harder to grow those earnings. But really, we have a soft buy or a start to buy from both of our exports today. Liontown Resources, last stock currently under takeover offer from Albemarle. Uh, really a hold from Luke on that one and a sell from Gary. Well, thank you so much to our viewers and also to our great guests of the day. Thank you very much. Gary. Thank you very much, Luke. Hope you've enjoyed the show today. Now, any stocks you'd like us to cover, go to osbiz.co forward slash callpicks or tweet us at osbiz. That's all for the call, but uh, we're going to have a short break now. Don't go away because Andrew Gagan will be coming up with lots more guests on The Pulse. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.